turn in God's word this morning to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll be picking it up at verse 15 and considering verses 15 through the end of the chapter. It's good to see our brothers back from Haiti and uh, glad uh, the trip. Uh, just talking to Dan for a few minutes before uh, the service. Glad the you were able to get home before uh, new requirements set in, new testing uh, set in as well, and thankful for that, and look forward to hearing a report from, from you men as far as uh, the work and the blessings and the opportunities that God laid before you uh, in the weeks that you served down in Haiti. And we'll certainly include words of thanks tonight as well in our prayer. Hebrews chapter 15, last Lord's Day we considered this new covenant and just as a reminder that this new covenant is not substituting the covenant of grace. It's not that the covenant of grace is now done away with, is old and fading and we have some new covenant that has come but this is a new administration of that covenant. It is replacing the covenant that was made at Sinai. And uh, we'll see that again in our passage and in Scripture as well this morning. But it's setting forth Christ uh, as the mediator. He's already alluded to this back in chapter 8. I believe it's back in verse 6 of chapter 8. Uh, one of the things you notice as you go through uh, Hebrews is that the author through the Holy Spirit has a way of, of dropping terms and ideas into a passage where he doesn't fully explain it there, but later, a chapter or two, all of a sudden that term comes out again and the author begins to more fully explain it. So it helps us uh, to be reminded that once again that the best way to interpret Scripture is by Scripture. If there is a passage we do not understand, sometimes it's best to read prior to it and read after it to help us understand what it was that the Holy Spirit is directing our thoughts to. He might just be introducing something, as I said he does frequently here in Hebrews. Now, here in this section, the author is, is putting out the fact that Christ Yes, there is a new covenant, but Christ now has become the mediator of that covenant. In that old Sinai covenant, that administration of the covenant of grace, it was done through a human priest. Now we have Christ, the human and divine priest. There it was done through animals' blood. Now it is done through Christ's blood. There it was done on a very temporary basis. Now it has eternal application. Let's hear then God's word, Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, 
the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask for God's blessings upon us. Our Lord and Holy Father, we come unto thee in this morning hour of this thy Sabbath day, Lord, and we thank thee for this opportunity to worship thee and praise thee and open thy book and hear thy word proclaimed. Lord, we thank thee for sending thy son to save us for eternity. We pray now for Pastor Bob that thou will give him the words to say and that we may Accept those words and understand those words and apply them to our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. And amen. So we want to look at two things from our passage this morning, our two main points. First, that Christ mediates the covenant, this new covenant, this new administration of the covenant of grace that God has made with us. Secondly, that Christ continues that mediation, Christ continuing mediation, not meditation, I didn't misspell it, it's Christ continuing mediation. Christ, yes, mediated the covenant, but he continues to mediate on our behalf. And it's those two points that the author is bringing before us front and center this morning. And the first thing we want to note about the fact that he mediates the covenant, which you notice the author doesn't put forth as, well, maybe I need to argue this. Why? Because he's already established this. As we go back in the previous chapters and we look at what the author has already said, he's already has established Christ's work. 
He's already established that there is a new covenant. Now he puts those two thoughts together in this 15th verse. He's summarizing. Christ mediates a new covenant. He does so for a reason. Look with me at verse 15. Why does Christ do this? What is the purpose? What is the point of Christ mediating a new covenant? Verse 15. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Why does Christ mediate? Why does Christ do this? Why did Christ come? He came so that those who are called may receive their inheritance. Well, let's take those three things separately for just a moment. Right? There is a reason he does this. There is a purpose. There is an end game for this. He's not just doing something for the sake of doing something. Christ doesn't come just because I, I don't have anything else to do. I'll come to earth and, and I'll be the mediator and I'll die on a cross and, and I'll raise again and ascend into heaven. I, I just don't have any. No, there is a purpose. And the purpose is for those who are called. Christ does not mediate for the world. For everyone. See, reminder, reminder, there are two covenants in operation today. There is a covenant of works. And there is a covenant of grace. The world, every single solitary person is under that covenant of works. If Dr. DeYoung were here and I was being examined for, for uh, my licensure exam or my ordination exam, he'd raise his hand and the question would be, Bob, does God make that covenant only with people? Because in the story of Noah, it is pretty clear that that covenant is also made with all of God's creatures. That's why at the end of time, all of creation is destroyed as well. So there is this covenant of works. Everybody's in it. And for our purposes, we'll say all people are in it. Every single solitary individual. And under that covenant of works, we are all condemned. We cannot keep it. We cannot keep perfectly that which God commanded. So God in his mercy establishes also a covenant of grace. But that covenant of grace is only with some. Only with those he calls. And of course in our Reformed theology we'd say only with those that he has elected. Only with those he has predestined. Only with those he has chosen. See it's not up to the, to the individual. It's up to God. God is the one who calls. Christ came to mediate a new covenant so that those 
who are called. Here's the blessing. God comes and establishes this covenant of grace with us. In and through the work of that promised line. He repeats it to Abraham. And then he comes to Sinai and says, let me make it a little more clear. Here's my law. Here's these sacrifices. Here's this whole thing about atonement. Are you going to keep covenant with me? And the people are like, yes, yes, yes. But they didn't do it. So God now comes graciously in Christ with a new covenant which tells us about this covenant of grace. But it's still for those who are called. God did not make the covenant of grace with every single solitary individual who was alive in Genesis chapter 12. He chose Abram. He chose Abram's line. Did he choose Ishmael? No. He chose Isaac. Does he choose Esau? No. He chooses Jacob. God calls those to himself that he desires. But for those who are called to come to him, it takes the work of Jesus Christ as the mediator. The purpose he came, verse 15, is so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. That they may receive That's the second thing about this purpose. That those, those who are the elect, those who are the chosen, those who are called, may receive. But what does that word receive mean? Does receive mean cram down your throat? Does receive mean I'm going to just shove it into your life? No, received is the other side of called. Received becomes then our responsibility. That's what the word means. We can't change the meaning of the word. Lombano, good Spanish word, lombano, right? Actively take hold of, to accept what is offered. So that those who are called may receive may take hold of, may grasp onto. Not just, oh, yeah, yeah, I got salvation. Yeah, I'm one of the called. Yeah, I don't have to do anything. I'm one of the chosen. I'm one of the elect. I'm in the covenant of grace. I don't have to do anything. No, the passage says, Christ is this mediator of the new covenant so that those who are the elect may receive, they'll grab onto, they'll latch hold of. Now what has the author just introduced us to? What is that? The grabbing hold of. That's faith. That's faith. But faith, we learn in Ephesians, is not of ourselves. That too is the gift of God. But you see, the... the, The work of Christ needs to be received. It needs to be received by faith. 
That's what Ishmael didn't do. That's what Esau doesn't do. They do not receive by faith the work of Christ. But that work of Christ, to those who are called, truly called, are those who receive it. By faith, they embrace it. They grab hold of it. They desire it. They accept that which is offered. That's why the language throughout the New Testament is repent and believe. Trust in the Lord. There there is this this thing, there, there is this call that is placed before those to whom the gospel is preached. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Because the work of Christ requires an acceptance. Faith. Is the author going to explain to us faith later on? Of course. We all know Hebrews chapter 11, right? So once again, he's introduced an idea and a thought that is going to come. But what is it that they receive by faith? What does verse 15 tell us? The promised eternal inheritance. What is that? It's the presence of God without sin. That's the inheritance that awaits those who are called and those who receive God's Eternal presence without sin. We sang in one of our hymns about the, the smile of God this morning. She'll see him face to face. Be in God's presence forever. Now what does being in God's presence bring? What does being in God's presence without sin bring? No more suffering, no more pain, no more death. But those are, in a sense, the secondary things. The primary thing is that we'll be in the presence of God forever. Now remember who he's addressing. He's addressing these Hebrew Christians. We're we're putting this in the context of the Old Testament, where those Israelites never got to go into that holy of holies. They never got to be before the Ark of the Covenant. Only that high priest wearing that, that, that breastplate with those stones representing the people, representing the 12 tribes. Only in that way were they ever going to be in the presence of God. But in this new covenant, you see, it's not in a representative form. We, you and I, will for all eternity be in the presence of God with no sin. That's glory. See, that's why we call this glory. What did they call that that cloud? 
between, that dwelt between the cherubim of the ark. The glory of God. We're going to be in the glory of God. What is glory? The presence of God. Christ is the mediator of this new covenant for a purpose. And he does so by his death. He has to die in order for this to happen. There, 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 is, there is a change of language for us in the English. We change from the word covenant now, as you see as we follow through to the word will, verse 16, for where a will is involved. Verse 17, for a will takes effect. That language is legal language, right? A covenant is, is sort of is, is the spiritual aspect, but the, a will is a legal aspect. But you know what? We're dealing with the same Greek word. The Greek word hasn't changed. But the context helps us understand what did, the, what did that mean? Why does Christ, why is Christ the mediator of a new covenant? Because he has fulfilled the legal responsibilities. He died. A will is meaningless, right? It doesn't mean anything until the individual dies. A will does not take effect until a person dies. Dandy and I are in the process of redoing our trust and all of that sort of thing that goes on. It's been almost 20 years since we did it originally. Looked at it and decided, yeah, we need to make a few changes. But all of those changes mean nothing. Nothing happens until I die, until she dies. Then the will takes effect. It took the death of Christ to fulfill the legal aspects of this. He died. He gave his life. Just like the author points out in the Old Testament, it took the death of animals. Animals had to die. And the death of those animals is what God commanded for the covenant to be instituted. But thirdly, he mediates through his blood. Go with me to, back to Exodus chapter 24. Because this is actually the passage that the, the author is alluding to. Okay? Exodus chapter 24. So we're back in, at Sinai. We're, we're back doing this, this establishing of that covenant at Sinai. That first covenant, first administration of that covenant. Listen to what happens. And, and hear Hebrews. Exodus 24. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord. You and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near. The people shall not come up with him. Moses came and 
told the people all the words the Lord of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered. See, here's covenant. God gave the rules. God gave the word. All the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Did they? No. They failed. That's why the author has pointed out in previous chapters, we need a new covenant. Because the people failed to keep covenant with God. God's side didn't fail. There is nothing wrong with that which God has said. It was the fact that the people could not keep it. Verse 4, and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Notice, death. And the, Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. So now it's not just the death. Now there is the focus not only on the killing of those animals, but on the blood of those animals. And Moses took half of the blood, put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Listen to this line. Listen. Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The covenant is sealed with blood. Behold, the blood of the covenant. Go with me to the upper room. We're in Luke. We're in Luke chapter 22. And he took a cup. Right? This is the blood of a new covenant. And now ask yourself, what are the disciples thinking? At that moment, at that time, when he says the line, this is the blood of a new covenant. They're thinking Exodus chapter 24. No longer blood of animals. No longer the blood of bulls and goats. The ashes of heifers. No longer that means. But the blood. The blood. Now some of you who read finally, read almost all purification, right, takes place through the blood. Oh, not all. How's the other means? Water. Go with me to the cross. He's died. He's poured out his blood. What does that soldier do? He takes a spear, pokes him in the side. What flows? Blood and water. How are we cleansed? By the death of Christ. And that death of Christ is what ushers in this new covenant. His death 
by means of his blood. See, when Christ is there, he's not saying, guys, you know what? This covenant of grace thing God made with Abraham, eh, that's old. We got, we got to get rid of that. We need a new covenant. What he's saying is the covenant that was made at Sinai, that Moses sprinkled the people with the blood of those animals, and they failed so miserably. God has now come through the one who is truly the Lamb of God. I'm going to die. And my death will usher in this new covenant. A covenant where we don't have external laws written on tablets of stone, but God's will is written upon the heart. And obedience is not because it's forced, but because it's desired. Not because it's obligated, but because it's thankfulness. A new covenant in my blood. Blood of the divine Son of God. Holy blood. Pure blood. Blood that can cleanse the foulest. Blood that thoroughly washes away sin. A new covenant in my blood. Secondly then, Christ continues this work. This continuing work of Christ. That's what the author is picking up then when we get to verses 23 and beyond. Therefore it was necessary for the copy of these heavenly things. But, verse 24, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Christ doesn't enter some tent in the desert. Christ doesn't enter some room in Jerusalem. Christ has entered into heaven. This is where he continues his work of mediation. He doesn't continue it here. He continues it in heaven. Oh, the importance of the ascension of Jesus Christ. The blessing of knowing Christ not only suffered and died, Christ not only rose again, but Christ has ascended there before the very presence of God continuing his work of mediation. They're not here upon earth, but in God's very presence, always, continually, not before a cloud of glory, but before God himself, before the Father himself, is Christ. Oh, the spectacle, the, the beauty 
of what happens in Exodus, of the building of this tabernacle and the glory of God filling that tabernacle and dwelling between those cherubim and that priest once a year entering on the Day of Atonement to offer that blood for himself and for the people and to reemerge again alive knowing that God had accepted that offering is, is indeed a beautiful thing. But how much more, how much more glorious to have our priest, to have our mediator before the very presence of God. Our one mediator. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy, right? For the, there is but one man, one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this, this work of Christ continues. Why? Because he lives forever. Those human priests back there, Aaron dies. Nadab and Abihu are going to get torched for their disobedience. None of them lives except Christ, the high priest, the mediator of this new covenant who is before the presence of God at this very moment. There, because of his one sacrifice. We've been down this road. We don't, I don't have to go through it again, but I find it interesting, okay, that the author, that the Holy Spirit, wants us to hear it again and again and again. One sacrifice, one sacrifice, once for all, putting away sin. See, because Satan loves to come. He loves to come. He loves to come and to take the, the hymn of last Sunday morning, right? It is well with my soul, and he loves to poke holes in it. And so we need to be reminded over and over and over again, no Satan, no dragon. Christ died once for all, for all of my sin. Doesn't have to die again. His death is the perfect righteous man. The divine God, Emmanuel, that sacrifice never needs to be repeated. And my mediator stands before God, never having to repeat that work again. Because that work was so sufficient, so full, it cleanses all those who are called who receive by faith Jesus Christ, giving them that eternal presence of God as their inheritance. But we close with looking at 27 and 28. And just as it has, was appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once, 
to bear the sins of many will appear a second time. How do you view that second coming? How do you view it? Oh, when he comes again, he's, he's going to judge me. No. Now read the word. When he comes again to save, to save those. And then we, we get caught up with, uh, you know, the books, and he opened the books and so on and so forth, Right? And everybody has this fear of, oh, all my sins are, they're all going to be out there. The psalmist says he remembers not our sin. Paul said there is no more condemnation of any sort. There is never any more condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Our judgment occurs at the moment of our death and we wake with our eyes, our spiritual eyes, seeing the face of God. When we wake in that moment, in that instant, with our spiritual flesh being consumed, the fires in the pit of hell. That's our judgment. But when Christ comes, It is to save. It is to save those who what? Are eagerly waiting for him. You know, I think one of the things this past year should have taught us as Christians, should have taught us as believers, it should have taught us to live here really loosely and to not hold tight the stuff of this world. It's all going to be burned up. It's all going to go away. It's all going to be consumed. Every vehicle you long for and want to purchase, it's going to be gone. Every home, it's going to be gone. Every hunting shack, it's going to be gone. Are you eagerly awaiting Christ? Are you looking at it going, oh, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come, come, come. Or is it, "Eh, could you wait a couple of months? I'd really like to enjoy my truck for a few months. Is it, well, you know, we just bought a new house. It'd be kind of nice if we lived here for a little while. Well, Lord Jesus, please don't come yet because, you know, I'd really like to get married before you come. Or are we eagerly, with a passion, looking, waiting, desiring Christ? Come, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In the book of Lamentations, which is a book of distress over the miserable state that God's people find themselves in, we find this very interesting verse, this call. It's Leviticus, or Lamentations 3.41. Let us lift up 
our hearts and hands to heaven. Yeah. For where our treasure is, that where is where our heart will be also. Let us lift up hands and heart to heaven where our mediator is. This is the purpose. This is the goal. This is why he came. So that those who are called may receive that promised inheritance. Are you looking forward to it? If you knew If you really knew, if I really know how great heaven would, is going to be, I would not be so consumed and concerned about this world's stuff. Lift hand, lift heart to heaven. And God's people say, Father, again, we thank you for your word. What a blessing in this day and age. What a blessing in this time in which we live to know, to know of our mediator, to know of his work, to know of the atonement of our cleansing by his death through his blood, to know of his ongoing work on our behalf, never failing, never a shortcoming, Every problem, every issue known to him poured before your throne of grace. Help us to live with eyes towards heaven. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.